<laughs> I'm looking as red as Alan Brazil again, which is fantastic news for all concerned. Are you ready to go? <laughs> it's a born ready, yeah. <laughs> I'm born ready as well. R-E-D-Y. Oh. You've got to hold and give and do it at the right time, and the right time is now to return to your regularly scheduled broadcast schedule broadcast schedule. Broadcast it schedule. Scheduled broadcast. Schedule. Yeah. I'm still a little bit ill, but not all the way ill like we were last week, so we're back with your regular dosage, your big, fat, ooh, 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 girthy dosage of the Holding Gift Football Podcast. I am Ross Tweddle, joined as always by Clive F-U-C-K, all the way over in the Liverpool right there, as always on the Holding Gift Football Podcast. We don't ask how we're doing, we kick things off with a bang. It's Clive F's on this day, he peace freely, what happened on this day in football history? Well, Ross, <laughs> <laughs> on this day in football history, so it's October, October, that's not a month, it's October 11th, 2023 at the time of recording. On October 11th, 1958, we're going back to 1958, so the great Bill Nicholson took charge of Tottenham Hotspur for the first time and they slapped Everton 10-4 at White Hart Lane. Wow, that's like an army and, command. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, Nicholson stayed with Spurs until 1974. He won the first division in the 60-61 season, three FA Cups, two League Cups and the UEFA Cup amongst others and they've won bugger all since. (laughs) (laughs) This has got something to do with last weekend still, Jack. Is he still not over it? Um, No, I'm over it. I've just... um, Tottenham are just one of those teams I've never liked and last week just brought those pointless uh, feelings back to the fore. Fair enough. But Bill Nicholson, great man, all told. I know nothing about yeah. him other than he is that their Spurs manager when they were at their most successful. That's all I know about him. Yeah, pretty much the same. Know the name, know that he's very important for Spurs. And any Spurs fans listening will be like, ah, oh, good Bill. Good old Bill. Good old, old Bill. Walking <laughs> down Bill Nicholson way to watch the Spurs. That's probably what they're saying in their cockney ways. Yeah, talking of cockneys, in 1988... Seamus Coleman was born. Um, <laughs> I think you mean Corkneys. <laughs> oh, there is he is. from Cork? Uh, I've got no idea. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know either. But he was born on uh, October 11th, 1988. And I was just amazed that he's slightly older than me um, because I know, you know, Seamus Coleman's no oil painting, but he definitely looks better for his age than I do. So. <laughs> I'll tell you who he looks like, and I've always thought this. I always thought that maybe around about 1988, maybe around the October the 11th of that very year, that Peter Beardsley might have gone for a soiree in an island. And I always thought that maybe he just he saw a pretty Irish lady and thought, ooh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a... I'll have a little bit of fun with her. And then I reckon Seamus Coleman might have been the result because he's got he's got the same face. I, I've never noticed it before, but I'll have to pay close attention afterwards. I mean, 88, uh, Beardsley, would, he probably would have been at Liverpool at the time. Yeah, maybe. I think he would have been. Or the Ev, one yeah. of the two. Oh, yeah, maybe. He was, he was in Merseyside, we'll put it that way. <laughs> Aye, but yeah, just look at the lips. They've got the same lips. It's the same, like... <laughs> I don't know what's happened today. I had a little bit of cough medicine before starting the podcast day, and it sent me west, let me tell you. Up the cough medicine. Up the cough medicine. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to move swiftly along on this uh, 
Clive F's Peter Beersley's Lips section of the Holding of Football podcast on October the 11th, 2014. So we're going to League Two. Carlisle United versus Stevenage. A uh, quick note, I had no re- I had no idea that there haven't been Stevenage Borough for about a decade. Um, they're just Stevenage now. Are they? Yeah. They've, I think they've always, always been Stevenage as far as I can remember. So maybe, when was the when was the better thing? Was that maybe a 90s thing? I don't know. Up I until the 90s, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. But anyway, Carlisle versus Stevenage. And we looked at the subs bench here because Stevenage had a goalkeeper crisis. So I had to name goalkeeping coach Dave Besant as a sub. And this was... <laughs> This was 11 years after he'd retired. So Dave Besant at this point is 55. Carlisle sub goalie was their goalkeeping coach, Tony Cague, aged 40 at the time. So the subs had a combined age of 95 years old. Is that the former Newcastle goalkeeper, Tony Cague, by any chance? Yes, uh, I believe so. I believe so. He believes so. Up the Dave Besson. Mm. Well, I say up the Dave Besson because I was just checking his career history to make sure this was right. Obviously, he had that famous FA Cup final as part of the crazy gang of Wimbledon against some team. I can't remember who it was anyway, but it happened at Wembley. They won that game against all the odds. It's a game that the other team should have won with their eyes closed, but they didn't win the game. Little old bloody Wimbledon won it. Um, and he got this big money move to guess which team off the back of that FA Cup final and I guess the Cup run to the final as well. Uh, Galatasaray. It was Newcastle United there, Jarkins. <laughs> 20 appearances in the league. One year he was there before he was shipped off to Chelsea and he had a fairly decent career from there or not. I guess he stayed around the Premier League for all of the 90s. He played for Spurs in 2001, which I had no idea about. 19 appearances for Harry Redknapp's Portsmouth in 2002. Uh, but as you say there, his last team before that was North Greenford United. In 2013, five years after his retirement, I guess he was like a reserve goalkeeper at Nottingham Forest up until 2008. Then, yeah, the 14-15 season, he's at Stevenage. Yeah, I remember him. At, I remember at Chelsea in the 90s, and obviously, I remember him part of the uh, the crazy gang against a team. It doesn't matter who they beat in the final. Uh, but at, at, in 2014, Carlisle won three 0 and Dave <laughs> Besant didn't play, unfortunately. So. Oh. But but that's that's everything that happened on this day. It was slim pickings. I can tell you that for free. Hey, it was that, this is a big beef sandwich compared to a couple of weeks ago. What was that? It was like Wolves beat someone a couple of weeks ago on this day when we're paying freely. <laughs> hey, this is a lovely sandwich. Up the football sandwiches. Not the prawn ones though, Roy Key. Not the prawn ones. Anyway, yeah. we go on from this day in football history to game week eight, as the kids probably call it, of the Barclays Premier League. Classic Barclays. <laughs> Barclays no longer sponsor the league. It's Lewis House's fault at Cultaholic Ventures Limited. He's always about... He, he introduced a new term this week. Did you see it on the chat? Barclaysman. He's a wonderful Bar- Barclaysman, which I thought was fantastic. See, it, in my head, I'm old enough to remember when it launched. It was the Carling Premier League, so he's a, he's a Carlingsman. Yeah, Carling, Barclay card, Barclays, nothing. They're on. Yes, yeah, right. They're yeah. on thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Download down with the spot. Uh, could you do this in with the uh, the League Cup though? Because that's where I get milk. Yes. Coca Cola. I take your word for it. Worthington. Carling. Uh... Was it Carling then? Carling then Carabao. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure we're missing. Hang on, let me Google this. Say something about football in the meantime, Jack Atkins. Ca- Isn't sponsorship weird? <laughs> I mean, if, 
we try to avoid it as much as, as as possible in in the English league because we're a bit stuffy about it. And we're like, oh no, no, our good old English league. Oh no, no sponsorships. And then I like it when you see like um, some South American teams where they'll just be like, let's have sponsorships everywhere we can put it on the shirts. We've got two on the sleeves. We've got one on the top, one on the stomach, two on the back, one on the arse. Who cares? I found but, uh, a, a, a ranking. Here we go. A ranking of uh, the assorted names and sponsors of the League Cup. Uh, an article published in 2022 by Dave Tickner. Up the Dave Tickner. I thought you were going to say Dave Peasant. No. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, 2016-17 season, the worst name in, in League Cup history, which is called the EFL Cup. No sponsor involved. The Football League Cup between 60 and 61 and 80 and 81. So that 20-year mm. period, it was just the Football League Cup. We've got the Capital One Cup between the 12-13 to the 15-16. The Carabao from 17-18 onwards, obviously. The Carling, 03-04-11-12. This is it. The Rumble Lowe's Cup from 1990-92. Worthington Cup, obviously, from 98 until 03. The Coca-Cola from 92 until 98. Uh, The Littlewoods Challenge Cup. That's another one I forgot off the top of my head there. The 86 until 90 season. Then, as you mentioned earlier, the Milk Cup, 81 until 86. Yeah. Fantastic. A potted history of the League Cup. It's uh, it's it's the Coca Cola Cup in my in my heart still because that's when, it. I think it's w- whatever age you become aware of football is how stuff sticks. I think my last the last season of the Worthington when Blackburn won it. No Spurs, sorry Spurs beat Blackburn in the final, didn't they? And then hmm. that they became the Carl, and I think the season after that was my. So I've got a weird a weird relationship with the League Cup. Me, I, am I Worthington? Am I Carling? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, Premier League. Arsenal beat Manchester City for the first time in football history, apparently, if you believe certain pundits, on Sunday in a game that was as boring as me, which is very boring indeed. Bukayo Saka was obviously missing for Arsenal, which is, I guess... FPL managers around the world are in the mud but if you enjoy stuff where the ball is not in possession of the team you're supporting or looking at the pitch towards I guess you would have enjoyed this game because the formations they were on point the cancelling out of each of the teams that was on point but the action with the ball at the feet of the teams who were you know in possession at the time it wasn't the most thrilling I didn't know where you were going then. I was going to say that's a, an amazing bit of a waffleage to try and paper over the fact that this was a bit of a dull game. <laughs> I, I I like the fact that one of the main talking points about this game, because it's been going off something we've been saying for weeks, is about uh, David Raya's performance in, in, in Nets for Arsenal. Considered, you know, oh, you, you can't have two first team keepers, is he or is he not? And everyone said, oh, he was looking a bit dodgy. He's still got a clean sheet, but... I know, but like there was that example in the first half where he kicked it straight to a Manchester City player when you know he's been brought into the team because of his work with his the ball at his feet. He's got magical feet, as David Rea. Twinkle toes himself. <laughs> and then there's that one where Alvarez sort of gets the block in. The ball could have gone in the back of the net, but it hit the side netting. There's a cross when he sort of, uh, when Gavardiol's just whipping in from the left. He comes and flaps at it. He does a mark flapping. Uh, doesn't get anywhere near it. Ramsey did a lot less wrong at the start of this season and got dropped than David Rea did in that game alone, let alone what he did in the Champions League a few days earlier. So Aaron Ramsey must be sat there thinking, oh God, I'm never getting back in if I don't get in the next game. 
I do like the fact that every time every time he did something, they just cut to the bench and saw Ramsdale just sitting there thinking, oh, he's not looking great, is he? He's learned his lesson, has he, Ramsdale? After the, after seal gate, I like to call it. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one for the cameras, wasn't it? Clapping along. Hey, but he's learned his lesson. Because I think he's got a right to be pissed off because if Arteta sticks with Raya, as he probably should do now, because I'm of the belief you need to have one goalkeeper and a second choice goalkeeper. You can't be switching. In. Like Rude Hullet used to do this back in the day. So Bobby did it mm. his first t- first season at Newcastle. It doesn't work, Jack Atkins. That's my examples there for you. So who, who did Bobby do it with? Was it Pavel Sarchek and Shaka Hislop? Come no. forward a few years, young sir. It was Steve Harper and Shea Given. Of course. You know me, I'm, I'm stuck in 1996. <laughs> I was still a, a wee boy of the world at his feet. Um, on the Ramsdale thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll come on to Newcastle later, and I know you've said before that you take Ramsdale over Pope I think he's a more complete goalkeeper like Nick Pope shot stop and there's no one I'd rather have in goal to be honest with you such a long boy can reach all corners of the goal with minimum effort but it's everything else it's the, the coming for crosses which he isn't the best at it's his distribution which he's absolutely awful he couldn't be any worse at distribution and when you're like you're a team like Newcastle who sometimes well I say more often than not you like to soak up a team and then just get them on the counter. You want that sort of quick release from the goalkeeper. And there's so many times where Nick Pope, he's either holding on the ball for too long or he tries to kick it out and it just goes straight out of play at a right angle. It's very, he's, he's, so, he's so brilliant, but so frustrated at the same time. Could you see a world where Edel makes a move for him in January or do you think he's going to stick by Pope? I think he'll stick by Pope, but I think maybe next summer or the summer after, maybe Pope will be... Uh, having a little bit more competition than uh, Dubravka, who seems to be happy to sit on the bench now. Which, fair play, I guess he did the same at Man United when he went there on loan last season. And Loris Karius, who's fine, but he's never going to get Nick Pope out of the team, is he? But yeah, just I think, mm-hmm. right, and you've got to think as well, this is a Euro season, is it not? 2024 Euros is next year. Yes, yeah. Aaron yeah. Ramsdale, I reckon, still got a little, obviously, it's the weeks and the months uh, and the games go on. Obviously, we've got another international weekend this weekend. As more of them that pass, Jordan Pickford's more and more likely to be the number one again when the tournament comes around. But I still think there's a little, a little glimmer of hope for Ramsdale. So him not playing football is obviously going to have an adverse effect on that. Will he go to the tournament if he's not playing, like for the second half of the season, as he's probably not going to play a lot in the first half of the season? That remains to be seen. So, what I, I, I reckon he might look for a move in January, Ramsey. Mm. Oh, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised at all because, especially if he's, you know, to use the old parlance, not feeling love from the manager, you wouldn't begrudge him a move, would you? I just, just for people who watch it on YouTube, I realised what I just did there. I didn't just take a bump of some sort of powder up my hand there. I went for a cough and snorted at the same time, like bogies in my nose because I'm still a little bit ill, and it was like that. I was like, that looks a bit weird, but there we go. Hopefully, you can yeah, tell I've got a bit of a blocked nose. <laughs> As, as we know, Ross is one for the personalised silver straw anyway, so he definitely wasn't doing a bump. Exactly, I've got one of those little, <laughs> in fact, I've got one of those little, you know, scoops, like a little scoopski patata. But hey, shouldn't joke about that sort of thing. That's Tom Campbell's game anyway. We'll move on. <laughs> oh, but go back to, yeah, uh, Arsenal City, obviously um, we talk about goalkeeper performance, but uh, should we talk about Kovacic? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a bit more to this story, which we'll get onto in the other football-related news section of this very podcast. But just in terms of our own personal opinions on the first tackle, it's a red hmm. card for me. Yes. Um, even out of the context of the... Because obviously Liverpool found a point into what happened to Curtis Jones, which was for some a red card, for others 
for me it wasn't but I can see why it was given putting it in direct context with that challenge from last week this was a surefire red yeah um, and then yeah was, he didn't even make contact with the ball at all he just put it right into his ankle he did but as a, oh, I'll mention it later on Howard Webb came out with a crucial difference of why it wasn't a red card and why it was a yellow card but even though it was a, a, a for sure yellow card I think it was a for sure red card personally myself for him then to go and do that tackle that late tackle on Rice straight away afterwards and for him not to get a yellow card even though it was a clear yellow card it's just the fact that we've got this VAR and I know they can't get involved in second yellow cards but that's I don't know why that's a thing to begin with, just like the not restart yeah. of the game, as we saw at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Damn, Bill Nicholson, why? Um, just change the rule for that, for goodness sake. The fact that he did that tackle straight away afterwards, it, it, it's, 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 it's a red card either way. It's two yellows and one red. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in two minds about this, because obviously I, I tried to take off my Liverpool hat and I was trying to think, okay, perhaps the referees are trying to, the old phrase, referee in context, they try not to disrupt the flows of the game. Because like like we said, ad nauseum last week, apart from the dodgy decisions, Spurs versus Liverpool was ruined by a card-happy ref who was just stopping it every two minutes. Uh, you know, the bright lights of the Barclays and the Emirates Stadium. Um, it's... I, I can understand why he was trying not to put too much of a stamp on the game but like we said letter of the law they're they're clearly reds in the current climate of the game in the narrative of the season as well I just we just want consistency whether it's consistently rather consistently good than consistently bad but some form of consistency at all I'll I'll take at this point that's where I was going with my point I've just realised I was started making the point mentioned the words VAR and just lost what I was saying when we've got this technology why are we not having this consistency even though we've got this technology which as we learned last week just opens us up to another level of human error mm. rather than you know using the technology to put things beyond any shadow of any doubt we're still getting this inconsistency as we'll get on to with them reds a bit later I know there was a bit of a controversy around Pascal Gross, but Virgil van Dijk, it's another big example of the inconsistency, which shouldn't be there. We've got all this technology. It's being mm. used wrong. So scrap it for the time being. And I'm all for it coming back when it's fit for purpose, because currently it just isn't. No, definitely not. I'm, I'm on that. They getting rid of the VAR? Yes, up that. Uh, of course, a boring game was settled by one goal. Gabriel Martinelli twatting the ball straight into Nathan Ake's cheek. It flying past Edison in the 86th minute. Tommy Yasu found himself centre forward, but his play was very much of a Dennis Bergkamp ilk, I thought, for his uh, little assist to Havertz, who then teed up Martinelli for the old twatteroo off Nathan Ake's cheek. That's a... Uh... There's some strong words then, Ross. The word deft has been thrown around a lot in football history, but his header <laughs> towards Havertz was deft. It was deft. Uh, <laughs> I do like a good I do like a good deft. Um I, I felt I felt Arsenal deserved this though. The like you said, even though it wasn't uh it was a cure for insomnia, as they like to say. It was um Arsenal offered more for me going forward. Um, and I think I think this was this was their reward. A nice three points for the first time since records began, of course. <laughs> um, and it's always good to see Bernardo Silva looking gutted. So you know, 
Of course, <laughs> his, his position was slightly changed the game for Manchester City, Alberto Silva, because of the absence of Rodri, who I think in his absence, as I was saying, Owen Mawson, as we did a little video the other day, uh, picking a the best Premier League 11, but you can only pick one player from every Premier League club. We did that video the other day. It's on the channel right now. Please go and watch it. We learned, oh, well, I've learned recently that Rodri might be the best player in the world because the difference in Manchester City, I think the first game out he had was away at Newcastle in the Cup when they got knocked out. And I don't think they've won a game since, have they? I can't remember. Got beat off Wolves, got beat off... Yeah. Yeah, Arsenal. Yeah. Oh, Champions Champions Alpha- League. Yeah, Champions League, I guess, but yeah. Is he out for one more game or was this his last... last- I think it would have been would have been his last, wouldn't it? Potentially, but yeah, he's 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 superb. I hate the fact that they keep getting really good players and keep getting the scouting right. But he's he, yeah, he, you can it, it it seemed to be the other season you'd be like, Oh, for anyone who's not a city fan, you'd be like, Oh, if they lose De Bruyne, they're knackered and now it's as we've seen, it's if they lose the non Welshman Rodri. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Giggs' brother, Rodri. Uh, speaking mm. of Ryan Giggs, in a weird segue, Manchester United hadn't won at Old uh, Sorry, Brentford. <laughs> Manchester United hadn't won at Old Trafford since 1937. Brentford hadn't won at Old Trafford since 1937, I should say. My United were looking to avoid losing three home games in the Premier League for the first time, and they won. 2-1 against that there, Brentford, who hadn't won at Old Trafford since 1937, which was a long time ago, Jack Atkins. Yeah, it's almost uh, just before I was born, it was. <laughs> Correct. Uh, Onana, <laughs> got to speak about him once again. He dropped another bollock for uh, Matthias Jensen's opener. What's he doing? Jumping like he did just before sort of pushing off uh, for, for his dive there. It was very strange. He, he should have done much better for it, but I think it's a bit unfair to just single out Onana for this because in the build-up for it, Casemiro was just looking old and tired <laughs> I think the way I've got to put it but they were just all over the place it was a completely avoidable goal from midfield to defence and to the the keeper himself um, yeah I, I like you said it dropped a bollock I think is the the, the terminology we're using as the for an honor. I don't know because I, I thought he's looked all right but obviously I was um, I didn't watch this one live and I and Twitter and it was just full of Liverpool fans obviously because that's what I'm I see on Twitter just taking the piss out of him saying he's crap but um he definitely should have done better for that he definitely should have to be fair to him he did make a couple of good saves in the in the second half he made a good one I think someone I forget who hit the bender from the edge of the area but it was going in the top corner he sort of palmed it over the bar there was another header from a corner which again he tipped over the bar so he is making decent saves it's just these big errors that are leading directly to goals which I think is a thing People were labelling more often than not a David De Gea in his sort of closing two or three years at Man United. Maybe yeah. maybe a little bit shorter period of time than that. But it seems they're, they bought an honour to stop those things happening, but they're still happening. Is that to do with Eric Ten Hag's style of play? With obviously the Galatasaray game in mind there where his pass out uh, didn't go right at all and he got punished for it. Should he just be kicking it long? Big Sam ball it? I don't know for the time being just to take the pressure off. Is that too re- reductive of me as a football connoisseur to suggest that, Jackins? I don't know because obviously the 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 modern to, to use the you know the the sweeper keeper parlance the the modern role of a goalkeeper is to try and actually play football rather than just lump it. But we're, we're seeing keepers more often than not getting caught out with stupid passes, stupid little flicks. Like we were saying before, David David Raya for Arsenal was a bit crap this week at times. Um, I don't think this is indicative of Onana's style of play. I don't think it's indicative of United's style of play. I think it is just the role of modern keepers that they're going to get caught up. Yeah. What's wrong with the game, eh? 
what's wrong with the game? I was saying this a few weeks ago. Van Son Company. He would not get a look in if he wasn't playing this attractive style of football, even though it clearly doesn't work because he's manager at Burnley in the Premier League. Mm. It's horses for courses, not styling for... Profiling? Styling for, styling for courses. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Stylish horses. That's stylish horses. That's Burnley, the stylish horses. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Manchester United then huffed and they puffed and they didn't like they were going to blow anything down until Muck Sauce himself gets off the bench and scores two goals in the dying embers of the game, having won correctly, disallowed for offside. Off, up the Pogmole. They never get anything wrong. Up the Pogmole. <laughs> <laughs> but why is Eric Ten Hag not playing Scott McTominay up front? Answers on a postcard, please. There was a lovely quickly taken finish into the bottom corner for his first one, a reaction header for his second one. It's papering over the cracks to say, ooh, the fighting spirit of Manchester United is home to Brentford. Ooh, look at them go they're stylish horses there's no stopping them um but they were still largely like uninspired for three quarter well nine tenths of that game until mcsauce showed he's one of the true greats of the game please note the sarcasm in my voice i know that's sometimes lost in on youtube audiences i was being sarcastic there in my analysis of scott mctominay <laughs> Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure was he was he linked with a move away from United in the summer. West Ham wasn't going to get the double deal yeah. for Maguire around him. There we go. Yeah, but um, I, I think Ten Hag alluded to it with his post match comments, didn't he? Basically said, "Oh, you've you've got to make your own look at football. Really, we rode our luck this week, and it kind of pulled off two superb goals from McTominay. The second one, what I like to call a proper header, a proper header. How is it a proper um, header? Whoosh. You know, it's a, <laughs> not a flick, not a glancer. He's just like, I'm going to smack this with my head and it's going to go in. Proper header. Yeah, it was a proper header. Yeah, yeah exactly. There you go. It's proper header. <laughs> I'm just I'm referring to my notes on my phone as well in case if anyone's watching, it looks like I'm just being very rude. Um, but like you said, it is papering over the cracks because um, referring again to, to, to Brentford's opener. Um, Casemiro, after looking like one of the players of the season last year, one of the signs of the season. He's just not looking the same player at all. I don't know if age is finally caught catching up with him or just the, the fact that in an underperforming side, he's just sticking out like a sore thumb. I don't know what it is. I don't know, but it's Real Madrid are looking quite good at this point, aren't they? Because they got rid of Casemiro and Varane. And while, as you say, Casemiro was one of the standout players in the league last season, age is advancing should we say Varane's always yeah. injured Casemiro started off it's not just this game against Brentford I was reading a few tweets from Manchester United fans saying he's just been he hasn't been the same player since the season began back in August maybe they've just done the, the deal at the right time Real Madrid and Manchester United have once again panicked and just thought ooh big name <laughs> let's get him in there <laughs> Big horse, big, big horse. horse, Casemiro, big yeah. stylish horse, Casemiro. Yeah, but it just it doesn't look like the same player, does he? So hopefully, because he got he got hooked off at half time in this game as well, didn't he? So the the yeah. manager's clearly saying something wrong as well, which is worrying for him, I guess. But I'm sure he'll pull it round. He's a 17 time Champions League winner. Yeah, sure, all 17 of them, yeah. <laughs> 15 against Liverpool. Speaking of Liverpool, we got introduced to a new Barclays Premier League superstar to give him his full title, Brighton Desmond Liverpool. We say this because the game between those two teams ended 2-2, as my wordsmith skills are stretched to the near impossible levels. That was awful, that wasn't it? Brighton Desmond Liverpool. 
I'll, I'll, I'll allow it just because I like you. It's if no, I didn't like you, I'd be giving you both barrels. It's no perversest opinion, though, is it? It's no perversest opinion. Anyway, a Dingra with a lovely finish uh, with Alisson out of position after Van Dyke. I thought, personally, gave Alexis McAllister a horrible ball uh, with three mm. Brighton players around him. McAllister gives it away on his return to the community Brighton uh, at the credit card stadium. Um, and then, obviously, Alisson's out of position. Lovely, for, like, early finish. I thought it was wonderfully inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, McAllister didn't have a great game. I don't even think it was the occasion got to him. We're just trying to force him into the sixth position, which is he can play, but he's not completely comfortable with. Um, I did feel bad for him because obviously the spotlight was definitely on him and he made a cock up of it. But um trying to have a look at my notes. I've got them all over the place here. Um, that first half, we were battered by Brighton. Brighton were absolutely smacking us around everywhere. I, I One of my friends texted me because she'd been in work and she was saying, well, well, I've seen the score, I'm devastated. It's like, don't be devastated. It's it's worth remembering that Brighton are a very good team. And that first half especially showed her they were just well drilled. Well drilled. Well drilled. That new midfielder they've got, I forget his name, but he looked a, he looked a decent player, getting around everywhere. Mm. The Caicedo replacement from League 1, I believe, or maybe it was La Liga, I don't know. <laughs> whatever, whatever they did, it was working. Like I was saying, I, I don't want to be one of those ones who's like, oh, Brighton were only good because Liverpool were poor, but we were poor in that first half against a very good side and they just found our weaknesses. They played on McAllister. Um, Van Dijk's not looked the same for the last season and a half and they went at him. Um, yeah, I don't have the words right now. He doesn't have the <laughs> words. He's a mess. He's a desolate <laughs> mess anyway. Lewis, I've written down drunk, making a mess of things which led to some liquid football from Liverpool. Harvey Elliott leaving it for Mo Salah to sweep home. Obviously, Brighton are very good when things are going well. But hmm. as I've found it just again, mainly their games against Newcastle, where Newcastle had some success against them last season. Uh, when they try and be too clever for their own good, that's when the wheels come off. And this was another example of that. And it was symptomatic of these stylish horses once again in the Barclays Premier League. Just kick the ball long for Christ's sake. Is that, is that wrong with it? Well, yeah, I, I saw an opinion of someone saying that all, all all of the four goals in the Desmond today were uh, today on Sunday were um, not really any bit of individual skill. They were all caused by um, player errors, and this mm. was another one. Drunk dunk, as you've called him here. Um, I didn't mean that, yeah. by the way. Just in case he has any serious alcohol-related issues in his career, that was just of a course. typo from my uh, my phone, which is autocorrect the spelling there. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, not having the words as well. Uh, a little uh, peek behind the curtain. I've had a uh, a straight edge heavy weekend, so I'm just trying to re- recall the events of Sunday. But uh, what do you mean by what does that even mean? Is that just not just existing as a straight edge man? Well, no, because when people say, "Oh, I've had a heavy weekend," usually means they've been on the sesh. But obviously, I don't because I'm straight edge. I've just I just had a long weekend and. <laughs> this was this, my treat was watching a 2-2 draw <laughs> uh, we've got to say it again Brighton playing silly buggers at the back which allowed Sabasly in then I think Gross fouled Sabasly and then definitely the second one that happened which I think the penalty was actually given for I forget who mm. snapped who uh, but that led to Mo Salah scoring a penalty again it's again it's, it's these stylish horses messing around in the lakes and then the lakes get too deep for the horses then they become submarines and float away I don't know what I, I've I even said a, there. I don't know what I've I, even said there, Jack Atkins. 
It was beautiful. Can you cut that out and just uh, prepare that as a little video for me for my birthday, please? With uh, with uh, Stylish Horses by Susan Boyle playing in the background. Originally written by yes, the Rolling but... Stones, I believe, was it? I don't know. I know, that's, uh, that's Wild Horses. I know, that was the joke. <laughs> you played it so earnestly, Ross. <laughs> um, but yeah, a penalty there, just Brighton again being too clever for their own good. Do you reckon it was a pen for the first one or the second one? I think it was the second one. Uh, I saw people wanting it for the first one because he didn't even try to play the ball. He grabbed him, him, yanked him back. Some uh, The letter of the law says that should be a red card. For me, it's a penalty or a red card. If someone's going in two-footed in the box and snaps someone's ankles, then it's a penalty and a red card. That It's one or the other, if you know what I mean. The penalty's yeah. punishment enough should it go in. So I had no problems at the time with him staying on the pitch. Mm. But... <laughs> Uh, but again, like like we're saying about context, you know, in, in some matches it's a red card, and in others it's not. It's I don't know where I stand. Yep, yeah, they'll just make up the rules as they go along. We've got to say as well as Hellamis, I thought from Ryan Gravenberg as well in the second half. The ball is bouncing; it's come across the box pretty hard as well. But meeting it on the bounce like he did, it's an open goal. He's hit the Denver bar, and he shouldn't be missing that because he was really good on FIFA a couple of years ago. So he, he's looked really good since we've gotten. I think this is. Maybe the longest amount of time he's had in the Premier League for so far, maybe his second league appearance, but he he looked, he changed the game for Liverpool when he came on. Um, not, not in terms of, you know, getting the result, but we just looked more attacking, we looked more focused, we looked more composed, we looked more of a threat, basically. How are you playing him? Wherever it seems. Uh, I can't remember who we came on for because we, we we made, I want to say, wholesale changes, but we've brought him in, I think, just to kind of be... I think the idea is, on paper, our ideal midfield three would be, in an ideal world, again, Alexis McAllister as more of the holder, Soboslai in the middle, pulling the strings, being a kind of a handsome mix of Xabi Alonso and Andrea Perlo. And I assume Gravenberg to be more of a kind of attacking midfielder just behind the front three. But it seems kind of fluid. So I think there's just rotation anyway. It's if if you if you get the ball, go forward, over two drop. I think that's how we're playing. The way you've explained that there, I would have expected again as an outsider looking in for that Gravenberg and McAllister roles to be reversed. Gravenberg being a bit more of the holder and McAllister getting forward. You'd expect, but it, it seems like until, because we've been linked with uh, Fluminense's uh, Andre. We were linked with him in the summer, but obviously at the, the Copa Libertadores, they were still, you know, in that. Uh, we might be going in for him in January, who is an out-and-out number six. Obviously, we've got Endo, who is got a good footballing brain, but is a bit slow for the league. So I think until then, and until... Um, our lad's back from injury, whose name has just escaped me. Good lad, played young, you know who I mean. Mush. Oh, um, Bacetich. Bacetich, Stefan Bacetich, thank you. Um, <laughs> Pepe Reina. Um, <laughs> until he comes back and we can start bedding him into games again, I think Klopp is going to be consistent with, you know, trying to blend McAllister into more of a number six if he can. Interesting. I never thought that would have happened, but there we go. And then we go on to the bit I was referencing a bit earlier on, the inconsistencies of these referees in the Barclays Premier League. A couple of weeks ago, it was a penalty when Nunez of Wolves, who the ball hits hit one part of his body, bounces up onto his hand. It's a penalty, even though the laws of the game say it isn't a penalty. But then... 
The same thing happens to Virgil van Dickbrain, I've called him here for some reason. And it's not a penalty, even though it shouldn't be a penalty, but the fact it was a penalty a couple of weeks ago makes you think it should have been a penalty. <laughs> Why have you called him van Dickbrain? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, again, yeah, we're talking about consistency. The Nunes one definitely wasn't a penalty for me, but like you said, if one referee is calling that a penalty, then by the narrative of the season, this should have been a penalty as well. But it's not because it's a ridiculous. It would have been ridiculous, like the way the Nunes one was ridiculous. And that's not me with my Liverpool hat on. This is just me watching football. No, it's, on. It's, it's the laws of the game as well, though. Yeah. Officially, in the laws of the game, it says like Gary O'Neill pointed out after the Wolves example. He says if the ball hits one part of the body, mm. then it hits the hand of the same player. It's not a penalty in the rules of the game. But they still gave it a couple of weeks ago, and then they didn't hear. I don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on, do they? <laughs> no, no one knows what's going on at all. Um, so it, in this case, it was a good call by the PGMOL. <laughs> the inconsistency means that oh, I'm sick of talking about them. Yeah, I let's really move am. on. Dunk got a nice finish as well with the Liverpool sort of, there was like five or six of them in a row, like little ducklings all falling asleep on the riverbed. They don't go underwater, do they? Ducks to go to sleep on the river surface, just in a row. Yeah. Dunk sweeps in for a nice little finish there for a centre-back. And I've got to ask as a Liverpool fan, on a weekend once again where Manchester City have dropped points, You've also dropped points. You're ballsing it up, man. Um, I felt this was fair. Uh, going into the stretch of games, I was hoping for at least six points out of nine. Um, <laughs> but obviously, the, the Tottenham result last week, I'm not going to mention that again. That was out of our hands. This one was in our hands. We didn't have the response we were hoping. I've got a burp trapped in my throat. I'm sorry. <laughs> this wasn't this wasn't this wasn't the angry response that I think many fans were hoping for. We we were hoping that right, light a fire on our ass, go for it. But like I said before, Brighton are a very good side and to get um to get a draw against them, I'm not I'm not annoyed at that. Yeah, you wouldn't this be was, away from home. They are a good team, no. aren't they? Uh, but just to point it out, Manchester City have lost the last two games, obviously, in the Barclays Premier League. Liverpool still find themselves one point behind them in the league table. You've missed your chance, Jack Atkins. Ah, uh, well, it's it's still it's still early in the season. I, I, I predicted we'd finish second, and I'm, I've got to stick by it, haven't I? <laughs> You are still just three points behind the league leaders, which are Spurs and Arsenal at the moment. So it's not over yet, even though I mm. think it might be. It's not over at this season. Anyway, we end our Barclays Premier League highlights of the weekend for game week eight with Luton nil, Spurs one. Basuma's red card, the big talking point of the game. He got sent off for a dive and deservedly so. It's obviously another example where like, we saw Jota last week. He gets a yellow card. Um, I'm not saying that Basuma's first yellow card wasn't deserved like uh, Jota's wasn't deserved last week. But being on that yellow card, he's got to be a bit more mindful of what he's doing, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think this is karma for bringing his kids onto the pitch last week and celebrating. Oh, the shut up! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always happy to see players of any team getting carded and caught when diving. Uh, and like you said, he's just he's been a bit daft here as well. Um, I, it's, it's a game we're not touching on this week, but um, we did the, the Newcastle. Uh, who did you play against West Ham this week? Obviously, Bruno Gimara, saw... is you going to mention it? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna bring up Emerson once again, getting a yellow for the imaginary card. And after getting the yellow for the imaginary card, stupid man Miggy Alboran goes. Uh, <laughs> it's just like 
it's like you're thick what are you doing that for the, like you said it's obviously the emotions of the moments everything's running high but you've got to you've got to be a bit smarter especially if you're bazooma on the yellow thinking do you know what I'm going to I'm going to terribly dive here that wasn't Miggy Elmer on Flash and the imaginary yellow card that was Miggy Elmer on spot one of those bubbles that West Ham launch out at the start of the halves and he's just like ooh I'm a child pop the bubble that's exactly what I he think- did there <laughs> I know, I know. This isn't the West, uh, the West Ham Newcastle bit, but the best thing I've ever seen about Miguel Moron was someone on Twitter saying he looks like uh, a teenager in Coronation Street who's only friends with their old age pensioners. That's just. <laughs> It's just his face is a permanent smile, which I've never seen in a human before. Anyway, he's wonderful. Uh, but back to Luton. I, th- I, yeah. thought you, I thought you were going to mention just from the West Ham Newcastle, Bruno, he was a bit of the same scenario as, uh, oh, bollocks, well, Kovacic from the Manchester City Arsenal game. He probably should have been set off as well, but he got away with it. Yeah, let me go back to my notes. Uh, I'm all over the place there, all over the place. He was lucky. Uh, second shouldn't have been a yellow for me for Bruno anyway. Um, so I think, I think he was again. He was lucky, but also it was the right call. That's analysis yes, here on the Hole and Give Football Podcast. Luton's, I'm all over the place. I've had a good couple of weeks on the podcast, and I've gone back. To, I'm off next week. I'm not on the beach already, but I'm off next week. So. <laughs> I think I need. I think I need a big sleep. Uh, back to Kenilworth Road. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say. I was going to say back to Luton Spurs. <laughs> With the emphasis on kennel in Kenilworth Road. Did you see the dog in the yep. front row? The crowd, fantastic scenes. Anyway, thoughts were Adebayo, the Luton striker at this time. He was the one at the far post on the stretch who missed a bad one. Even though. He was on the stretch, but not on the full stretch. So he's got to put that one away. And he was also the man, I think, who fell Romero in the first half for the disallowed Luton goal as well. It wasn't a good day for him. I've just sold him on the hold and give EAFC 2-4 career mode for £4 million to Brentford, the mugs. So it's not been a good week for him in real life or virtual world. No, virtual world especially will have impacted on his mindset going into this game. <laughs> but that that was a really, really bad miss. It's, it's one of those, the, the old cliche, where it's harder to miss it than score it. But miss it, he did. And then obviously Jimmy mm. Madison again with another quality assist for Mickey Van de Ven to quickly sort his feet out. And I've put it, sticking it away in the bottom of the goal, like prime rude Van Nistelrooy. Because the way he sorts his feet out so quickly, it's very reminiscent of rude. It was a it was a lovely finish. Um, I th- I think Madison's been the sign of the season so far for me. Yeah. He's been absolutely fantastic, hasn't he? Um, but as as for this for this game though, obviously this takes spares joint top of Arsenal people talking about Ange ball people talking about our spares a real threat but now that the last this weekend and last weekend they've got six points last weekend they weren't very good this weekend they were very scrappy but it doesn't matter if you're getting the three points that is real momentum you can play the nicest football in the world if you're getting it by any means possible, uh, necessary, then that's what matters. And there's there's belief in this team. We've said before, there's freedom in their playing, but there's they they know how to grab it by the scruff and get a result. So I've got to I've got to tip my cap to them. It's the way it should be. It's horses for courses. You do what you have to do with what's in front of you. You don't play the yeah. same way no matter who you're playing. It's what football's about. I hate this modern day 
fad, I guess we'll call it, where you have to play tiki-taka football, even if you're bloody Burnley in the Premier League. Four, two, four, yeah. Four, 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 four two. Six. Pump that ball long, baby. Get it in the mixer. Open Stick that corridor. Open that corridor of uncertainty more times than you care to. That's what football's about. Not your bloody goalkeeper passing it to the centre-back. That centre-back passing it to the third centre-back over there. Then back to the goalkeeper. Then centre midfield. Who wants that? Rock and roll, baby. Get it forward. I hate football. <laughs> Go proper alehouse. Hoof it up the field, just some big lad, some big lump in the number nine shirt, like Alan Shearer, and just smack it in off his little balder head. Exactly. Bring elbows back in the game as well. We're not allowed to elbow people in the lip anymore. Bring that back. <laughs> oh, it's annoying. But anyway, Spurs are doing very well, no matter what circumstance presents uh, present itself in front of them. They're doing very well. Uh, well yeah. done to Tottenham. Uh, yes. Other football headlines from the world this week. Eden Hazard has confirmed he's retiring from football at the age of 32. I find this eerily reminiscent to Wayne Rooney. In what way? In the fact that maybe Eden Hazard spunked his load too soon, proverbially Jack Atkins, in the way that he was on the scene, obviously, at a very young age, one of, you know, the, the premier footballers in Europe, I guess, by the time he was 19, 20, that sort of age. I thought he was a bit overrated initially, I've got to be honest with you, but by the time he left Chelsea, he was well and truly one of the world's best. Because I, I remember when he um, he was doing that big social media thing when he was leaving Lille and going to somebody, everyone was like, oh, he's going to go to Man United, he's going to go to Man City, he's going to go to Chelsea. Then mm. everyone's like, oh, who's going to go to and he, he's doing this social media tease and he's like I am going to the champions of Europe obviously just the season after Chelsea won the European Cup and I'm like who is this guy who is this guy to give this big hoo-ha he's not Ronaldinho but he turned out to be half decent didn't he turned to be very good yeah just a bit good in terms of the comparisons to Rooney though, Rooney did it a lot longer at a top level but I'm saying, like, in terms of how he's 32, Rooney, his decline mm. started in his early 30s as well, compared to what he was in his early 20s. Obviously, I guess yeah. Rooney positionally changed a bit more than Eden Hazard did, dropping deeper down the pitch. But I just think, is there something to be said about players being, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not exploit, overused, overutilised in the early 20s, now having a knock-on effect into their 30s? Or do people like Zlatan just say, train harder? <laughs> Well, yeah, because oh, how old was Paolo Maldini? I know it's a different position completely, but Paolo Maldini, I think, was 40 when he retired. <laughs> Dave Bezant still there on the same bench of 50. <laughs> I don't because like you said, I, I remember the, the big hoo-ha about when he was trying to find his, before he signed for Chelsea, because it was one of those where it was, every big team was linked with him. He was he was the bell of the ball. And people were just like, oh, whoever signs Thorg and Hazard are definitely going to get Eden Hazard as well. <laughs> He was brilliant at Chelsea. Let's not gloss over the fact. Obviously, his move to Real Madrid was a terrible career choice for him, even if, you know, we probably paid him right out the arse. But his, those initial few years at Chelsea, he was unplayable. He was absolutely fantastic. And I couldn't stand him for that reason because it's just like, you know, when someone's that good, you're just like, ah, oh, just piss off. You, he, you... he got better year on year for me as well. Like, the first year he was good, yeah. but by the time he was leaving... 
he was obviously one of the world's best. But it's a, it's a bit of a shame. It's a 16-year playing career for me. He released a statement on social media saying you must listen to yourself and say stop at the right time. After 16 years and more than 700 matches played, I've decided to retire. I was able to realise my dream. I have played and had fun on many pitches around the world. During my career, I was lucky to meet great managers, coaches and teammates. Thank you to everyone for these great times. I'll miss you all. That's the words of uh, Eden Hazard there as we cross to him live on the Hold and Give Football podcast. For those listening on the audio feed, he had apparently rejected interest from the MLS and Saudi Arabia in the summer, so fair play to him for doing that. He began his career, I didn't realise how early it was, all the way back in 2007 with Lille. Obviously got his move, he got the League and Cup double in 2011. Newcastle then signed Johan Kabay. He stayed there for another season. He got 20 goals in that other season without Johan Kabay uh, in 38 League Un games. Um, and then obviously during his seven-year spell at Stamford Bridge, he got two league titles and four other trophies. I don't know why the person who wrote that article put other trophies. He left on a high, <laughs> though, obviously, with the uh, Europa League win against Arsenal before getting his £87 million move to Real Madrid. And he only made 76 appearances over four seasons where there was all sorts of questions about his, I guess, drive. There was a little thing about his weight and his application, stuff like that. Um who knows what went on at Real Madrid, but as you say, that Chelsea run was incredible. Mm. Yeah, because it's obviously the, the the nature of football on social media is it's just people doing comparisons and doing all these polls, and there's always just like, is Prime Hazard the best kind of wide attacking forward we've ever seen in the league? And he's up there in the conversation, definitely. Like you say, and even though he didn't have when when we were doing our best Premier League um, eleven a, a few weeks back, and we were saying that longevity has to play a part in it, I don't think his his run in the Premier League was long enough to consider him at the upper echelon. But in the conversation, just for t- the the form he was in his entire time at Chelsea, yeah, I liked. He's had that that uh, that combination of like not just prowess on the football, obviously, you know, all the ticky tack and all the skills and that sort of stuff, but he he put his arse in. He had a, a remarkable arse to Eden Hazard, which I think is a bit of punditry nobody said so far. I remember that goal he scored against Arsenal where I think it was Francis Coquelin is trying to take him down so many times with these scything kicks that like he's doing the karate instead of playing the football. Eden Hazard just puts his arse into him and just says, get off, you wazzock. Yeah. And he just runs through half the pitch and scores a wonderful goal. He had that that combination more than most attackers have, if that makes sense, in the Premier League. Like the modern day ones. Your Hazard types, your Sane types, that sort of type of winger, attacker. He had more arse. Up his arse. Up the arses. Um, a different position, but like when you say that, I think of obviously for Liverpool, like, like a Fernando Torres type, where when you looked at Torres, you didn't think he was over six foot tall because he was quite lean, but he was powerful and he had the skills, but you could just absolutely lump someone and lump the ball if necessary. Yeah, I know what you mean. Lovely. Right then, so early on we spoke about Kovacic's would-be, would-be-not red card in the game against Arsenal at the weekend. PGMOL Chief Howard Webb and his weird upside-down head has been speaking and has confessed that Kovacic should have been shown a red card during that game against Arsenal. It was apparent, well, a lot of comparisons were drawn between that incident with Kovacic on Sunday and Gusto... Excuse me. Oh, that was lovely, that one. Sorry, Gusto, a couple of weeks ago for Chelsea, got a straight red card when their home game was going on against Aston Villa. And Howard Webb, the dick brain, 
I'm going to take it from Van Dyke and give it to Howard Webb. He said the thing that saw Gusto sent off and Kovacic not sent off is the fact that Gusto's foot was sideways on, stood still showing, but because Kovacic's was sort of lengthways on, like vertical, studs were still showing though, but the fact it was vertical, that's why it wasn't a red card. And I don't know how that makes sense at all. There was something about the, the this heel of the boot being planted before making contact, but Curtis Jones's foot made contact with the ball before making contact with Basuma. I didn't understand what he was saying at all. And obviously, I don't know if Howard Webb has ever seen a leg, but if a football is uh, if a foot is sideways and the leg is vertical, then less of the studs are going to hit the leg. If they're both the same, more studs you think would hit the leg and make contact. But his heel hit the grass first. Therefore, okay, yes, even though yeah. all the studs still made contact, his heel hit the grass first. Here's a quote from Howard Webb. This is clearly a poor tackle, and I'm confident of a red card being given by Michael Oliver on the day if it would have been a very straightforward check complete. A few small differences, I think, are led the VAR to think that the on-field decision here of yellow card wasn't clearly and obviously incorrect, and therefore check completing it, feeling that if he had intervened, it would have been re-re... It would have been a re Oh my God, a re-refereeing of that decision by the referee on the field, which I would then say... Isn't that every single thing that VAR does, a re-refereeing of things? That's the point of it, because the referee got it wrong. So the technology steps in and puts them right. Instead of taking them to the TV and saying, this is why it's a red card. You don't have a choice in it. Send him off, you little bitch. Do it now. <laughs> that's what we said on, this, on the podcast before, that that's what VAR is meant to enforce uh, decisions to the letter of the law, and it's meant to bring up stuff that referees haven't seen, but it seems that the use of it by English refs in the top flight is to protect their mates. Yeah. Bastards. Bastards. Anyway, Howard continues, I do think he was fortunate to stay on the pitch, he says about Kovacic. I mean, obviously the VAR can't get involved. Second yellows are something that VAR is able to get involved in, but I think he was an extremely fortunate player to stay on the field. The referee, one of our best referees, one of the best referees in the world, Michael Oliver will no doubt review that. I saw a lot of Arsenal fans taking... um, issue with it because wasn't it uh, Michael Oliver who sent off uh, Gabriel Martinelli uh, for two yellow cards in the same passage of play oh. uh, um, was it I can't remember I think it was after double check uh, I'll, I'll, I'll double check and we'll never bring it up again on the podcast <laughs> um, but it was the idea of because there was other quotes by Howard Webb about you know the referee alluding to the fact that the referee didn't want to change the outcome of the game and make it more about him. He wanted to let the game flow, which in principle is a side of refereeing that I'm in favour of about letting the football play on. But then the way fans take an issue with the fact that Michael Oliver is one of those breed of referees who likes to make it all about themselves. I don't think he's the most egregious though. I do he's, think he's, he's our not, best referee. Like He is, but it's the best of a bad bunch. The bar's quite low. <laughs> it's pretty low. But, but it um, is just the inconsistency of it's it's that word again. I would ju- it's it's the inconsistency. We don't need to talk about it anymore. You know exactly what we're going to say. It's the same bollocks every week on this podcast at the minute. Sick of it. Yep. He's continued though, <laughs> Howard Webb, the G uh, the PGMOL chief, has outlined the steps the Premier League refs have taken to avoid a blunder like Luis Diaz has disallowed go to Tottenham last weekend. He says we took the unusual step of releasing the audio from the situation not long after it happened. 
but pretty long after it happened all the same. Uh, we wanted to show everybody what was very uh, what was very quickly apparent to us that it was a significant human error and loss of concentration. We're all disappointed the VAR system didn't step in to rectify the clear error we'd seen on the field with the disallowing of the goal. The way he's put that, the VAR system didn't step in. It's like, well, no. I mean, he tried to. The replay man tried to. (laughs) Exactly. It's not... He's blaming the VAR system not stepping in, which obviously makes it... The the wording of it sounds like he's blaming the technology rather than the people operating it. So, mm, very, very interestingly worded. Go on, as you were saying. Maybe that's just what's his name. What's what's he called again? I've forgotten what his name is. No, that twat. Darren England. Daz. Maybe maybe he is Darren the System England. That's his nickname, like he's a darts player. He is the system. (laughs) (laughs) Because how can you blame anyone else but those Burks involved, apart from the, the replay guy, obviously. He says, one of the, anyway, how a web continues. One of the things that has been brought into sharp focus is the need to reiterate some of those communication protocols that are really valuable in VAR to prevent this type of thing happening. We want the on-field referee to communicate to the VAR what the on-field decision is very clearly, and the VAR to go back to the referee and acknowledge they have heard that properly, which is him now acknowledging what has actually went wrong, and that is that people not clarifying what they actually mean. Before community, this is how Web again once again uh, before communicating to the field speaking to the AVAR the assistant VAR excuse me what their intended direction of travel is going to be and not just saying check complete because what are you check completing say check complete goal confirmed in this case check complete offside confirmed which is yeah. what they should do anyway but they didn't yeah uh, and what we what we all believed was to be the guidelines in play anyway but just it, it, it turns out whether they were actually already in the guidelines and this team had just gotten lazy or whether they never were in the first place who knows but i don't know i hopefully this is maybe not a turning point for var to become brilliant but hopefully it won't be as bad as we've seen even though there was still a few dodgy checks this weekend there was but it can't get any worse than that I think it is doubt of laziness like you say oh yeah check complete without checking what actually the checker is you're doing it's it's schoolboy yeah. stuff by VAR Paul Pogba is now facing a four year ban and a cancellation of his Juventus contract after secondary analysis confirmed his positive drugs test he uh, was suspended provisionally by Juventus back on September the 11th after a doping test with unusually high levels of testosterone following a Serie A victory against Udo back in August Pogba then requested for the sample to be analysed again in the hope there had been an error and his name could be could be cleared. However, Gianluca De Marzio have confirmed uh, that the secondary analysis has also returned a positive finding, with Juventus now considering how to proceed with the situation. You would think it would just be here's your contract paper ripping noise sound effect. Do you think they, they will wait until they get the results. Uh, not the results, the, the actual punishment. I think because so, uh, I, I, I read up the uh, the actual what he could face. The worst case scenario for him would be the four-year ban, although this would only be implemented if he was found to have voluntary, vol- voluntarily boosted his testosterone levels. If it was found that the increase was involuntary, I don't know if there's been rumours about, you know, back in the day there was someone with dietary... Who was it with the diet pill? Was it Colo Torre? Colo Torre, yeah. Uh, he'd taken his wife's diet pills but hadn't disclosed it. Yeah. And then, so if it's something yeah. like that, you'll get two years. But if he's voluntarily just injected his ass with some some tea, vitamin T, I don't know what you call it in the in the trade. If he's, <laughs> if he's put some testosterone in there just to, you know, make himself more manly and uh, then he'll get four years. 
When you said injected with tea, I could just imagine the Tetley tea folk <laughs> of a big comedy syringe. Um, how old's Pogba now? Is he 30? I think he's the same age as me, so he might be 31. Yeah. Because you'd think if... He's, 30, he's 31 in March. Okay, so four-year band, that's the end of him at a top level. 32. I mean, if, if it's two-year band, he comes back at 32, 33-ish, he might be okay. But I think Juventus will hedge the bets, but it's not a good look anyway it could be like we said like Colletore it could just be him being just a bit thick and not realising what he's doing but if it is something more sinister then that's got to be the end for Paul Pogba surely yeah one thing that we do know is that Juventus have, have cut his salary from uh, to 2,000 euros a month which again a went, month yeah a month which is yeah. lovely to hear that's more like it footballers isn't it that's more like it come in line with a common man <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, whether they keep paying that two two thousand euros a month or not, I don't know. But yeah, he was on ten million a year initially, and after the failed mm. drugs test, he apparently just got his contract and gone. Here's two thousand euros a month instead. But will they rip it up? I think they probably will do. Maybe I don't know. Mm. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Anyway, yeah. Wayne Rooney this morning has been confirmed as the Birmingham City manager. I say Birmingham like that because Birmingham are owned by Americans. And that's how they say that word. <laughs> John, this, this to... is this is Birmingham, Birmingham in the UK, not Birmingham, Alabama. No, no, no. Uh, no. John Eustace was in charge of Birmingham for 15 months. Uh, he was in charge, obviously, and he leaves the club in sixth place after Friday's 3-1 derby win over West Brom. Eustace, as I said, then was in charge for 15 months. They were in a relegation battle last season. Uh, there was two failed takeovers last season. There was the potential risk of points deductions last season. The threat of relegation, as I said there, they were finishing 17th last season. Nine points above relegation, just about got away with it, obviously, and now they're sixth. So there's no pressure on Wayne Rooney whatsoever because everything was going wrong this season after the takeover um, by Shelby Companies Limited, which is very apt for Birmingham, uh, led by American businessman Tom Wagner, who took charge on the 13th of July. I think there's also invest in investment from Tom Brady from that weird version of football where you use your hands more. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Everyone's saying the same thing about this appointment. They've clearly seen the name value in Rudy rather than actually acknowledging the fact that, like you said, they just got a 3 1 derby win, the sixth in the championship. No one understands, no one logically understands why John Eustace has been let go. Apart from, like I just said, they've just gone, Wayne Rooney. Ooh, if we get Wayne Rooney, see what Wrexham have done with bringing in Ben Foster and getting TikTok and that. If we do that with Wayne, ooh. <laughs> It's, you know, all the best to Wayne Rooney. Who knows? He, he could turn out to be the second coming of Sam Allardyce. Um, but <laughs> it's a head scratcher. I don't. I haven't seen anyone who's gone, oh, yeah, I'm on board with this. Everyone's gone, that's, that's just a bit weird, isn't it? Well, I know that Rooney in America didn't qualify for the end of season playoffs, but I don't know if DC United were supposed to be in the end of season playoffs or not. Um, but he didn't get that. That's why he left at the time that he did. But he's got to go off over here what he did at Derby, which was remarkable under the circumstances. Yeah. Obviously, he's got a lot better situation he's walking into now. So, as I say, the pressure's on because of how well Eustace did. But Rooney, he's done all right over here. I know, he, I know that Derby got relegated. So that's the common thing I've been seeing. Is like, oh, his greatest achievement is getting relegated with Derby. you got to look at the context 
context of that situation. The things he did at Derby were fantastic. Um, so yeah, he, there's no reason why he can't. A, a big thing I've read about the, the sort of press release of Rooney's appointment has been a no fear approach. <laughs> It's so American. No fear. Yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, I believe we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I hate that Let's Go stuff. It's so Sorry, Americans stuff. who are watching this, but, you know, you're coming into our game now, not us Brits <laughs> coming into your professional wrestling, for example. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 no... Maybe there's a, a case to be made for Eustace playing a certain brand of football that the owners don't like, but it was working, so that means absolutely nothing. It's horses for courses, not these stylish horses like Wayne Rooney coming into our game. eh? (laughs) Up the John Eustace. And we end the football news headlines that weren't (laughs) Barclays Premier League action from the week with Harry Maguire. Maguire said he got a phone call from David Beckham, which meant everything after that game against Scotland where he scored that own goal, but that own goal could have happened to anybody, so I'm not going to sit here and have a go at Harry Maguire. He never lets England down when he's he's picked. Um, which is all the time I actually spoke with David three weeks ago after the game said Maguire he got in touch with me so it was really nice of him and I really appreciated that it meant everything I've spoken throughout my career about David Beckham being someone to look up to and watched when I was a young boy it shows how classy he is to reach out to me and message me it was something I really appreciate it was touching really isn't that nice of David Beckham he seems like a nice fella, David Beckham, despite being a multi, multi, multi millionaire, very handsome and very good at football, the bastard. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I know we we like to take the piss out of him. We know, we know we like to point at the fact that he's got a bit of an ego, but I do feel as bad as you can feel for a very rich man. I do feel a bit bad for Harry Maguire, how his career's kind of panned out at United. Yeah, because you do go back to what he signed and no one was saying, oh, they've paid over the odds here. Everyone was going, oh, Manchester City wanted him as well, so maybe they had to pay that much money to get him. Look at this weekend, he got a start because Man United have a defensive crisis. Like, oh, God, they've only got to go and play actual centre-back at England starter Harry Maguire. It's like, how the mighty have fallen? It's so strange for Maguire from a career trajectory point of view. Yeah. Have you seen the David Beckham documentary on Netflix? I have not. I've been watching Atlanta, which isn't a documentary. It's a weird sitcom. I, <laughs> um but no, I, I do want to watch it. I've only seen the one clip where he's kind of having a go with Victoria for trying to paint herself as working class. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant, that, though. David Beckham yeah. is the last investigative journalist I've read there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, if, if if anyone watching or listening hasn't seen the clip, Victoria's trying to say that they both come from working class backgrounds. Uh, David Beckham does Victoria Beckham it appears the woman who is known as Posh Spice uh, doesn't uh, and David makes her admit that in the 80s her dad drove a Rolls Royce so there we go on the school run no less as well not even a Sunday car the school run yeah. the everyday motor was a Rolls Royce uh, I've not seen it all yet myself like but Gary Neville needs to be more confident. I saw a clip where Gary Neville's like, oh, I'm, I'm like the mustard on, 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 on David Beckham's steak. He, he's, the, he's the main thing of the plate. I'm just the mustard on the side. He's one of the best fullbacks I've ever seen, Gary Neville. I'm getting sick of him, me being so self-deprecating. Yeah, and the fact that, uh, I don't know, we, we've... Mm. My opinion of Gary Neville changes. He's a he's a bit of a snake, isn't he? Really, when a, when a microphone's in front of him, he's too gobby now. He gets involved in too much, which is doing my head in personally. But when he's talking about football, I enjoy it. <laughs> it's the it's it's the flip flopping for me that I'm not a fan of. But yeah. Anyway, but no, that's that's nice of David Beckham for reaching out to Maguire. Um, 
again, I wonder if, is he an official ambassador for Man United? Is he involved in any way or has he just gone off no. his own back and got in contact? I saw there was a, one of these shakes who might be getting involved in Manchester United if a takeover goes through. He was going to make a position for David Beckham to be some sort of ambassador or something for Manchester United, but he has no affiliation with the club at, at, at the current time, no. Which which is ridiculous because if you're thinking about um, if they're going on, say, a pre-season tour anywhere outside of Europe, get David Beckham to tear it up and sign some autographs and take photos and it's going to work. It's going to work wonders, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, Harry Maguire in the same interview also made it clear that it, the move to West Ham that we spoke about earlier with Muck's source as well, it wasn't as close as, as was reported by everybody at the time. He said the opportunity to go to West Ham wasn't agreed between both clubs and myself. The actual opportunity wasn't there as we didn't get far enough down the line. West Ham are a massive club. I want to fight for my place, but game time is important for me. So I don't think he's in the same bracket as Aaron Ramsdale in terms of, you know, club football playing time going to have a knock-on effect for his England prospects for the Euros in the summer. I just think he's going to stay there until his contract's done, personally, because no one can afford him unless they're in Saudi Arabia. Oh, do you think? Oh, I, I, I could see him moving this summer if he's still a bit part player. I don't know. How, what, what's Eric Ten Hag got to do to get him out, though? He's made it very clear he doesn't fancy him. Uh, just, oh, I don't know. Drop him. <laughs> I was going to say, just <laughs> blindfold him, put him in a car and drop him off at the, uh, the, the old Berlin ground where he's just going to see nothing but a field and Mitch Wadden <laughs> greeting him. I don't know. Our friend Mitch. Up the Mitch. <laughs> what a stylish horse. We move on now to our highlight of the week. I'll kick things off with Paul Merson. I need to stop doing that every single time a Cockney thing comes into my head. Uh, but Paul Merson on Soccer Saturday last weekend, him and Mike Dean were having a back and forth about the VAR bollocks at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the weekend prior between Spurs and Liverpool. And Paul Merson was just shouting at Mike Dean. They had to apologise for the sound issues that might have been happening because he was shouting that loud. He was just saying what everyone was saying, just stop the game. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to die, Mike. Nobody's going to die stop the game and the way Mike Dean dealt with that situation just saying oh you want to stop the game for the sake of it what a knobhead I was sort of getting on side of Mike Dean after you know as a referee he was the one who made it all about himself every single game he played he then appeared on Peter Crouch's podcast a few years ago he told us about his history of being a chicken farmer and stuff like that oh I'm on board with Mike Dean now what a story and now after this bollocks now flippant he was towards a very clear and a very clear and obvious error on VAR's part. <laughs> uh, I think he's an arsehole. And up the Paul Merson for just being on television, which I guess is, you know, that sort of uh, that sort of setting where sometimes you can't express truly how you're feeling. And him just going, bollocks, nobody's going to die if you stop the game, you flaming idiot. Fantastic. I think... In the second time in the history of this podcast, we've come to the same conclusion. My highlight of the week was also Paul Merson not putting up with Mike Dean. Like you, even though, yeah, Mike Dean is a tit, uh, but he is, he comes across as a human, a human who always finds the camera and makes sure he's sort of sat there. <laughs> But he doesn't come across as robotic. And considering the, the state of referees now, it's, it's, I kind of like it. But here, and usually I'm not a fan of Merson as a pundit because especially his, when he's coming to predicting scores, he's usually way off the mark. Um, but he just wasn't having it. He wasn't having any of his nonsense. Like you say, nobody died. But it's the way that Mike Dean was saying, um, what did he say? He said, oh, well, this is why we've got players being pundits who clearly don't know the laws, which 
I think in his head, it was him having a go at the narrative of people saying referees have never played the game. It was him trying to stick up for referees, but because it came out of Mike Dean's mouth, it came out as so just smug. Yeah. And it, it, it was it was nice to see. After we've seen Gary Neville flip-flop on his position, whether he was told to or not by someone, after we'd seen... Um, Others, other pundits flip-flopping on their positions after going after referees and referee, you know, biases and the way the letter of the law is. The way that Merson here was just like, no, no, this was crap. I'm not having this. Change the rules. I was like, up the Merson. Yeah. Up the Merson. And why couldn't Mike Dean have just sat back and gone, yeah, they maybe probably should change that rule, like, you know, not restarting the game when they've seen something, which is clearly, you know, dropped a bollock, as we like to say on the podcast now, apparently. Why didn't just do that? I don't know. It's a very weird... St- Obviously, we know they're in for themselves now, the referees. They try to protect their own, that sort of thing. So that's why he was saying what he was saying. But that was yeah. the perfect opportunity to get the entire nation on his side in terms of his role on Soccer Saturday and just going, yep, yeah, maybe that rule should be abolished. But he didn't. He went the other way. And fair play to Paul Merson, who I think is one of the least offensive commentators and pundits in the game at the moment. He's just there. He's just he's part of the furniture at Sky. He was part of the heydays of Soccer Saturday before Matt Letizia lost his head and his brain <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, he's, I don't I don't find I don't take him seriously, Paul Merson. He's just there for yeah. entertainment. I think when he gets people's names wrong, it's funny, kind of. Okay. And as, as someone who's getting increasingly Merson-esque, but, uh, the straight edge, the straight edge Paul Merson, I'll call myself. Um, I know what you mean. He he he, he's a likable character, even though sometimes is um, I, I find his opinions, like I said, his predictions are just a bit crap, but. Yeah, it was wonderful to see this this week. Yep, that was the highlight of the week. And now we move on to a new segment on the podcast. It's an old segment which has been rebranded. It is the Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial Twat of the Week. There it is. Jack Atkins, I'll let you go first this time. Who is your Twat of Le Week? FIFA. Something we haven't talked about this week is that it was Spain, Portugal and Morocco have jointly been awarded World Cup 2030 and as part of this three matches are also set to be played in South America in Uruguay, Paraguay and Argentina to mark the 100th anniversary of the tournament. I know they didn't put in an actual bid but why not just give it to Uruguay? They had the first one. (laughs) And it's the reason because FIFA this isn't even libelous. Everyone knows they're corrupt. Oh, and yeah. it's, this has proven to me, because one of my mates actually messaged the group chat saying, I'm not usually one for World Cups, but I'd be game to go to this. And I'm the opposite of this because they don't care about the fans. Oh, no. No. Obviously, 2026, USA, Mexico, and Canada are co-hosting it. And I'm more open to that because at least, at least it's one continent you could drive, it take you days, but you can drive across America. You can drive from Canada to America. I've done it. It takes ages. Mexico, obviously, there's the the, the history of the, the World Cups in the 70s. And it was it 1980 in Mexico? 76 and... 86, 86 wasn't it? Eight, is it 86, 78 in Mexico? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, two, two of the most heralded World Cups of all time. I'm more on board on that. But this time... They're having a World Cup across three continents. How is anyone meant to follow their team if someone's going to follow the team? How is anyone going to be able to afford flights? Uh, there's visa situations here. 
That's one part of why I don't it like it. It was 1970 this. Mexico. 70. Okay. Seven, 70 and 86. Just thought I'd put that in there. So I got it completely wrong, but I knew they added twice. <laughs> once in the 70s, once in the 80s. So I'll hang my hat on that. But yeah, the, the fact that it's, they don't care about the fans is one thing. But... FIFA rules mean a continent cannot bid for the tournament within a certain period of hosting it. So by for 2030, they've given it to Europe, Africa, and uh, South America. So that's ruled them out of it. Obviously, North America can't host it, which means that, oh, would you look at it, 2034, only, only Asia or Australasia can vote for it. And oh, who's going to vote for it? For Saudi Arabia are in the run... Come on, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They've done it's clever, but they've clearly gone, right, let's think of a way that Saudi Arabia can be the only one to be in the running for it and give us loads of money. Um I'd love it if Australia got it, if they're gonna put in a bid for it, but even then that's gonna be a very, very hot World Cup if it happens. Oh, no, yeah. wouldn't it? It'd be Australian winter. Yeah. Be Australian winter, but it's but still, still hot, be very hot. <laughs> yeah. But they're not even trying to hide the corruption anymore, and it's why why is <sighs> Why haven't we had one since 1966? I'd love to go to a World Cup. Well, we've had the Euros in 96. We've had the Euro final and latter stages of the tournament in 2021 after, you know, the COVID pandemic. And now we're getting there, what, whatever year it is, 28, 2030? What year was it? It just got announced this week. Whatever year 28. it is. Yeah. 2028, yeah, yeah. We're getting that one as well. What more do you want? I want a World Cup, Ross. It's better. <laughs> Anfield wouldn't host anything anyway, would they? Yeah. Were they one of the stadiums? Yeah. Oh, no, it's Old Surely. Trafford. Old Trafford, who isn't, isn't it? I got that mixed up. Hang on. Euro 28 stadiums. I know there's one in the northwest who didn't get it. Oh, I, I know I know the new Everton stadium's going to be part of it. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look. Da, 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 da. It might be Old Trafford. I might have just had a little barb at you for no reason whatsoever. So, yeah, Wembley, mm. the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, uh, Tottenham mm-hmm. Hotspur Stadium, Etihad, the Everton Stadium. St. James's Park, Villa Park, Hamden Park, Aviva, and Casement Park in Belfast, which isn't even built yet. So yeah, Anfield's not getting them either. <laughs> well, that's good, because it sounds like there's an even spread across the country, which is what we like to see. Yes. Um, <laughs> but why have they picked the Everton one over Anfield? I don't get that. Because it's going to be brand, brand new, I reckon. So I don't know. So they can say to him, oh, at least we can get the infrastructure in place and transport. It's all about transport links, isn't it? And stuff like that. But, well, unless the Tories but, are involved with their bloody that train up to Manchester, the dickheads. Uh, yeah. Who wants to go to Birmingham anyway and get off the train there? You want to keep going north, don't you? You don't want to stop in Birmingham, do you? <laughs> Tossers. Uh, down with the Tories. Down with Darren England and Daniel Cook, the memorial twat of the week. Uh, mine is Laura Woods. Uh, of of football presenting fame because I learned on social media this week that she's in a relationship with a man who got famous through Love Island and a man who apparently, according to my girlfriend, always cheats on the lady he's with. And the fact someone so upstanding, as sensible, as powerful as Laura Woods has gone with a twat like that means that she too must be a twat. Laura Woods is the twat of the week. A controversial pick, and I don't know anything about Love Island, but I'll I'll support you in your. I was going to say twatting of Laura Woods, but I want to support you in twatting of Laura Woods. So, um, what a great time we'll have. Anyway, yeah, just the fact that she's gone for a complete knacker, I think we'll call him, like that. He's a knobhead, apparently. I don't even know what. I think he's named Adam. He's a knobhead. 
what a shame for Laura Woods. Why couldn't she be someone with, like, you know, Bukayo Saka or someone like that? I don't know what the age gap is there, actually. Someone sensible, you know, someone nice. Paul Merson. A lovely lad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Paul Merson. Why not? I shouldn't um, reveal the lady's age on the podcast, but Laura, she must be in her 30s, is she? She's 36, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Adam, yeah, was- Adam Collard is his name, and he's only 27. No idea, no idea. Well, everyone's dated a tw- at some point. I've probably been the twat in question at times. It's human nature. It is human nature, but hopefully it all ends well and not in tears for Laura Woods like the entirety of the world seems to believe it will do. So down with Adam <laughs> Collard, up with Laura Woods. <laughs> I don't know why I said Woods in the weird word there. Anyway, moving on to everyone's favourite segment of the podcast. Welcome to Brighton and Hove Albion fullback Purvis Estepinion. What are you talking about? It's a segment where you send in your hot takes about the world of professional football and then me and this brain box on the other side of the Zoom call here, we pick it apart. We've got a Liverpool flavoured one this week, Jackie Orlando. It comes from Andrew Collins 793 on the Instagram machine who says that Trent Alexander-Arnold is the worst defender in the league. His lack of skill brings down the rest of the team. ba 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 Your thoughts, please. Um, who was it who sent this in? Andrew Collins 793 on the Instagram. This has to be bait. And if it's not bait, football isn't for you, Andrew. Um, is, right, okay. Is Trent Alexander-Arnold the greatest fullback to live? No. But to say he can't defend, I know obviously the defensive side of his game isn't his strongest point, but... He's been a starter for Liverpool since he was a teenager. Uh, we conceded the fewest amount of goals when we won the league in 2019-2020. We uh, jointly conceded the fewest amount of goals when we came second in 21-22. Um, but someone saying that they're, they're not keen on, on him as a defender is, well, I think for me personally is a wrong opinion. It's an opinion that I can understand. But to say he's got a lack of skill... <laughs> A lack of skill. I think this is a take from Andrew Collins. It's a take of two halves. The first half, Trent is the worst defender in the league. He's not the worst defender in the league, but he's not a good defender. But that doesn't mean he's not a good footballer because his price going forwards and the way he kicks that football, that means his skill, which is the second half of the take. Well, I guess it's a, the whole take is wrong in my opinion. But the first half is not egregiously wrong because I can see why he's not a very good defender. Like, if you're going to, you know, one-on-one defending, he goes to sleep at times. I think about the Champions League, finally went to sleep, didn't he? And Real Madrid nicked in there for a goal. He gives goals away. That's part of his game. But what he brings to the team going forwards and everything else apart from defending, which, to be fair, Liverpool... I guess in a team like that, you're not gonna you're gonna be attacking more than you're defending by and large, which is where he's utilised to his strengths. I guess you could say. But yeah, his skill—he's a wonderful footballer. But yeah, it's—I I wouldn't <laughs> even say he's a bad defender. He's obviously for—he's for not a he's, as a as a pure def, as a defender. And I know it's a hybrid position that he plays the modern day mm. fullback. It's about going both ways, not just defending like it was back in the sixties or whatever. Um, if you're just looking at the sort of level, you know, Robertson, for example, he can do both ways very well. Trent yeah. can do one way very well, but the other way not quite so well. He's not at that Liverpool level in terms of defending for me. 
It's what I've said on this before. I take that I saw, which sums it up for me. And I'm a big fan of Trent Alexander-Arnold, but someone once said, he's not the best fullback in the league or the best fullback in the world, but there's a case to be made that he's the best player in the world who plays at fullback. Yeah. I know what that means. Um, Because of what he brings, it's his range of passing, it's his vision, it's his creativity, his Mm. movement, his positions that he takes up. I mean, he's, if he's sort of invented a new position, haven't they, for him with this hybrid role, midfield fullback thing? Yeah, I mean, if 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 he was put up for sale tomorrow by Liverpool, every major team in the world would be trying to bid for him. Not Newcastle, though. No, not Newcastle, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> we've got um, Tino Livramento. We didn't need him. <laughs> whatever you say. <laughs> But no, I'm, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. I'm not having that. That's that, that's base, as Mad Max once said. Yeah, yeah. Aye, yeah. So keep your eyes on the whole. Well, I'll do. Oh, why should I do it? On the Hold and Give Twitter machine at Hold Give on X dot com or Twitter, whatever you call it. We'll put a status up. Please reply because we're we're running dry on our opinions that we've got uh, stashed up in the in the Purvis vaults. <laughs> so we'll put a tweet out soon reply with that with your hot take that will either bait one of us or have us nodding in agreement like the Churchill dog and then we'll pull it apart on the podcast pull it apart like I'm going to pull apart Jackins now because obviously bi-weekly we have what happened to that Wunderkind but there's none this week Jackins what are you doing it's bi-weekly it is bi-weekly but I didn't realise that we were counting last week's episode as a canon episode because <laughs> I went into this thinking this was the 18th podcast and then you were like yep it is episode 19 I was like ah oh, fart I didn't so, know to be honest um, with you, I didn't know what to do I didn't know whether to count last week because that's a bona fide episode it was the best we could do under the situations I don't think my voice mm. would have held out for the full two hours or whatever we do normally I, 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 I still can't believe that you had made me pose for the thumbnail because I got I got a message from one of my mates saying just got terrified while scrolling through YouTube I was like oh yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> that's YouTube right we were, we move on though to the Roberto Mailbaggio what happened to that Wunderkind will return next week Ross at holdandgive.com is where you need to send your emails we have a backlog so this was prepared for last week's podcast if you've emailed in a question for this week's podcast it'll probably get answered next week and so on until we run out of questions so I did all the prep for last week's podcast but i was ill so here we go this is from last week's mailbag but this week i don't know why i even had to say that <laughs> nobody would have known would they if i didn't say it uh, in honor of the great mr mailbagio himself what is the best slash most iconic slash craziest hairstyle in football history that rat tail has to be up there as one of the greatest crap cuts ever all the best to you and the team josh thank you josh for your email your baggio in the back of the onion bag Whenever I think of crazy haircuts in football, I go straight to the main man himself from the late 90s slash early 2000s, Taribo West. Yeah, also Taribo West. Whatever the bloody hell he had going on, (laughs) multiple styles, by the way, not just the iconic buns. (laughs) The the green, the the, the four green spirally buns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Taribo West, if if we're talking about cult cult hair, yeah, yeah. who else have you got in the conversation? Rudy Voller. Well, no, because that was just that was that was an eighties German man. <laughs> yeah, but, but when you think, what does an eighties German man look like? You think of Rudy Voller getting <laughs> gobbed in it by Frank Reichard. Um Ronaldo, Carlos obviously, Val- from the two thousand two World Cup. What that was, I've got no idea. 
There's that lad, and I never remember his name. I'm gonna have to, this is what I'm Googling right now. There's the lad who... It's Giovanni Simeone, the son of Diego, obviously, you know, that mm. Argentine fella. He had it shaven on top, and then he's got, like, a little sprout coming out of his crown of his head, and he's got it fully there. I'll put it on the podcast now. My God, is it, what a terrible is it, head of hair. Is it as bad as Marouane Shamax? Because he had a bad head of it. <laughs> it's, Me talking, look at this. That looks like Steve Stone. It's worse because it's there on purpose. You can see clearly in the picture, he's got a full head of hair. It's a full hairline. Shamak was just going bald, was he? At the front, he couldn't let go. Yeah, but um, I, I hated Gareth Bales as well when he had a side part and cut into his hair, but then he had an actual side part and like to, an inch to the left of it. And you're like, what are you doing, man? You're a fool. Um, Got to mention Javinho as well. Oh, ah, I mean, I, I know that's a poor hairline, but the way he utilised that poor hairline, it, it's shocking. I've just had a little burp there again. I guess that's he didn't the have a, he, I was going to say, Javinho didn't have a forehead. He had a nine head. It just probably... <laughs> hair, hairline so far back, he had to comb his arse. Um, but Ronaldo, Ronaldo, when you say in 2002, that, that's the one that I think of from my childhood where people were going and asking for it in the barbers. I don't think anyone I know asked for a Taribo West. No one asked for a Carlos, a Carlos Valderrama. Um, do you remember, maybe a bit young for it, um, World Cup 98 when the entire Romania team all dyed their hair white? Scot- Scotland as well, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Scotland dyed their hair as well, bleach bomb for some reason. Don't know yeah. why. Um, the 90s, yeah. yeah. Up the 90s indeed. Up the Taribo West as well. I hope he's doing well. I don't know what he's doing. That's a wonder kid you could do. <laughs> <laughs> the history of Teribo West. Anyway, hello, bald diddlers. Massive fan of both your work from this podcast to the wrestling side. Keep up the grand work, the both of you. I'd like to start with this bit of information following on for a question on last or two weeks ago's podcast in the EFL for the three o'clock blackouts, which we did during them torrid COVID times. And I'm sure we still now do now called I Follow, whereas fans play... I've had just... I'm having a stroke here. Where us fans pay a club to watch the game, the same price as a match ticket, a live stream the game, and the money goes to the club. Do you like this idea? And how would you like Premier League clubs to do this too? The main reason I wrote this in to say, uh, as sad as being a Rotherham United fan is, the Chuckle Brothers are. Can't be that sad. They're literally called the Chuckle Brothers. Rest in peace, <laughs> Barry. And the other one. Not Paul. The third one. And no slacking. That one. Well, there was four. Because there was the Chuckle Brothers, and then there was no slacking, and Van were also brothers, but all four of them were brothers. You see, no slacking's partner when he passed away. Dirty, dirty old Geth. About 50 years he's junior. Disgusting. Anyway, as sad as being a Rotherham United fan is, I've seen my fair share of Thunder Bastards falling against us in the past. Well, we'll deal with that first question first, then we'll move on. It's a two-parter. Hmm. Didn't realise it was a two-parter. I would like that, you know. As a, as a man who currently has a membership at Newcastle United, as a man who has applied for every ballot but one the Liverpool game because I was down in Wembley for the uh, for the wrestling show that was on at Wembley I've applied yeah. for every single ballot for every single home game this season so far and I have not been successful once so to have a legal means to watch the game and still the club get the money I would have spent on the ticket anyway if I could do I like that idea so I'd be fully for it for the Premier League I would but when when we're talking if I'm paying 45 quid to watch from the comfort of my own home though I guess when you put it in Premier League pr- ticket prices, I might have forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd 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 be game for a a dedicated subscription to Liverpool games, definitely. Yeah. But it's it it would have to to arrive at a, an acceptable price. I think would 
cause a lot of aggro on both sides. Yeah, I forgot about the price. It was 44. Mm. I went to the Burnley game through, again, someone else being successful and me being linked to their membership. Because I've had no luck this season. I, I swear it's rigged. I swear there's mm. certain accounts that I'm going to get a look at and I'm one of them anyway. That's besides the point. I'm, I'm so sad. Um, but yeah, I paid 44 quid to go and watch Burnley at home. Burnley yeah. at home, for Christ's sake, was £44 for a one game. And we're, and we're talking as Liverpool and Newcastle fans. Like I remember when the Emirates opened, how much was uh, Arsenal fans playing? It was like 70 to 90 to 100 quid. Rather them than me, that's for sure. So yeah, we'll mm. be on board, but the price has to be right. Definitely. And it'd have to be <laughs> a blanket. It'd have to be a price agreed on by all Premier League teams, I think, as well. Yeah, which is interesting. Because you would expect Man United, for example, would try and charge more than Luton. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he basically asks, uh, where are we? I've seen my fair share of Thunderbass as being a, a Rotherham United fan. Uh, fallen against us in the past 11 years of following them home and away every week. Fair play to you. Uh, and yeah. I can, uh, uh, from Alex Ravel's 30-yard volley at Wembley against Leighton Orient, I remember that one. That was my last year of uni, I think. Was it 2014? He goes, well, hey, from like, whoa. Bit the Big Dipper, like a Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Um, <laughs> but at Wembley, against Leighton Orient in the playoff final, Gary Hooper volley for Norwich against my beloved and past current World Cup keeper, Emmy Martinez. Yes, he actually played for Rotherham United. That's astonishing. Uh, so my question, well, maybe it isn't, because we all know the story of Emmy Martinez. Arsenal wasted them, didn't they? Uh, what's yeah. the best goals you've seen live in the flesh for and against your teams? That's from current NXT star boy come Tuesday, Terry Spunk, also known as, oh God, that Napoli winger. I can never get his name right you know the lad uh, yeah <laughs> Kavicha Kav uh, fan by Joel from Rotherham up the Chuggle Brothers uh, what's the best goal you've seen live scored against or for the Reds Um, against the Reds the best one I've seen is so I was at the twenty late 2019 the Mad 5-5 Carabao Cup game Liverpool Arsenal uh, and there was a few good goals in that. So we came from 4-2 down. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain twatted it in to make a 4-3. Origi twatted it in to make a 4-4. And Joe Willock scored a curler from outside the box to make a 5-4. And it was a beautiful goal. Um, so that is the best I've seen scored against Liverpool. That was a mental game, that. I was with my mate who's an Arsenal fan, and he was just sat there just eating Skittles at a worrying pace. Uh, <laughs> A worrying pace. <laughs> he was, especially as he was just like, every time a goal went, he went, you're going to win this. You're going to win this. And there was Liverpool fans around him at the end of the game saying, tough luck, fella. Better luck next time. Uh, best goal I've seen in the flesh was um, Liverpool. It was Liverpool 5, Watford nil, March 2018. I was at the front of the cop and it was snowing and I was freezing cold. And Salah scored, Mohamed Salah scored four because he's brilliant. And his third one, I had to go back and rewatch this because at the time I remember just being like, whoa, and then rewatching it. And then I went and jogged my memory again. And I can only say that for a second, Muhammad Salah, Muhammad Salah became Diego Maradona. He picks up the ball in the box and he's just somehow beats four men. They're all falling over in that and he slots it past the keeper. The keeper should do better, but it's beautiful, beautiful. Is one I nearly got me bum out in the cop in the snow, but I would have been banned for life and I would have got frostbite. But that's <laughs> off the top of my head, that's the best goal I've seen in the flesh live. Wow. I'm trying mm. to think. Once I come to mind, there was a game 07 08 season, Liverpool three, 
Newcastle nil at St James's Park when the fans were chatting you don't know what you're doing at Sam Allardyce and justifiably so with the substitutes he was making on the day Gerrard scores that free kick it was just after England failed to qualify for the Euros and mm. I think it might be Lucas Labour sort of teased him up and he just spanks at the top corner from 30 yards that's a goal I saw live that sticks in my head I'm, I'm trying to break my, my uh, football watching career down into pre-season ticket then season ticket years, then England. I think the best England goal I saw live was Deli Ali at home to France. It's a bender at Wembley. What a goal it was. A Sven oh, Bender. A Sven Bender from Deli Ali. Uh, a wonderful goal. That's the best England goal I think I've seen live. I'm probably going to miss something obvious here. And then pick any goal scored for or against Newcastle between the years of 2010 and 2016 uh, for my, or 2015 for my, for my season ticket years. And also the 16 yeah. 17 campaign. There's a goal that Newcastle scored against Ipswich where every single player touched the ball and then Ayosi Perez, I think, or Johan Gufran, one of those two, they put it in. It was like watching Barcelona, but Daryl Murphy was up front. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable goal. But yeah, I'm trying to, it's t- that's too hard of a question to narrow it down because I'm going to miss something obvious. But yeah, mm. one of those. Yeah, I've mentioned a few there. Hello, Ross and Clive. Oh, I, much like yourselves, love a tattoo, and I've been debating getting my club's badge tattooed at some point. However, being a Spurs supporter, that would mean I'd unable to go to certain areas of London without it being covered. Have either of you ever considered getting a Liverpool or Newcastle tattoo? If so, did you decide against it, and why? Keep up the good work and all the best. James Teager, a.k.a. the bisexual Bovril Botherer. <laughs> As long as you're only bothering the Bovril, that's fine. Never had a Bovril, me. Still need to have one. I've got too much of a sweet tooth to have a mug of Bovril. Um, <laughs> any football tattoos, though? Any? Have you ever flirted with the idea? Have you got any? I, I haven't got any. Um, I, I am. I, I'd say that I've got a few tattoos. I have. I. I do want a little liver bird on me somewhere. Um, Put it in between your it- eyebrows. Just right in between the eyebrows here, just just a little. I'll get it done in brown so it looks like a birthmark. Um, but I'd be, I would be subtle about it because uh, a few of my friends have Liverpool tattoos. So I've known someone, a, a, a lad called James, and he's heavily tattooed. But he got a, he got a tattoo of Stephen Gerrard kissing the European Cup. But the hand is a bit rubbish on it. Um, and then like uh, another friend of mine's got six stars on his arm. The subtlest one is my mate, Timo. He's covered in tattoos. And one of his tattoos is he's got a, a ferry to, you know, represent the Mersey. And just on the the bow of the ship, there's just a little liver bird painted on it. Well, it's tattooed on him, but it's to look like it's painted on him. So I'd say if, if you are worried about having it in certain parts of London, just get is it the, little, the little cockerel. A little spares cockerel. If you can get it subtly somewhere, do it. Or just get it on your leg and wear trousers. Problem, problem solved. I'm well, fl- I was going to say, do you, want to, do you want to tell the world about your Newcastle United tattoo flirtation? What was that one? Because I've, it's been many different ones. Oh, yes, my Jacob Murphy one from Benidorm. Oh, well, I nearly got tattooed in Benidorm when I was there for a stag do with Jacob. If <laughs> you've seen Newcastle 6, Spurs 1, when Jacob Murphy twats in from 30 yards past Loris and ends his career in the process. Literally happened. He pulls this face of sheer shock, delight, all the positive emotions at the same time because he can't believe he's just done it. His mouth is as wide as the tine. It's beautiful. I was going to get that done on my leg. 
And then I approached, I thought, I better not get it done in bed at home because it'll look awful. So mm. when I got home, I approached a tattoo fellow who I've been in contact with before and said, would this work? Because I like sort of American traditional, sort of traditional, that sort of style. And it's like, would it work? Is that sort of style with some sort of design around it? And he was just like, no, it wouldn't. So that was one Newcastle flavor tattoo I flirted with, but apparently wasn't allowed to get because the fair play the artist for saying like no it wouldn't work instead of just going yes pay me money and i'll just stab you that'll be fine mm. um but another one it's a traditional sort of like I've, oh my phone's through there it's just a traditional man you know with a mustache from way back in the 20s or something like that i just want him yeah. in a black and white shirt with Huawei. there's a sun there's a tattoo artist who I, I, I use and i'm gonna see again in a few weeks time called lewis parkin wonderful man wonderful tattoo man he's in a few sunderland ones before because he's a mackham and i'm not approached the subject of him maybe doing a newcastle version on my leg again so i can wear trousers when i'm in sunderland as if i'm ever going to sunderland these days but you know i might go for a uni reunion in 10 years time or something i don't know and just cover it up but yeah if he'll do a newcastle version version of one of them it's on his instagram if you see it lewis parkin great man i'll get one of them why don't you get and see if it could be done in american traditional style silhouette of shira doing his celebration but instead of it being a portrait of shira it's the old away shirt which shows the skies of newcastle with the bridge in the background (laughs) (laughs) that that's bringing the tear to my eye actually thinking about that design but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it'll happen. Because I, I personally, I think just getting a badge of your team is tacky as balls. <laughs> I do, I do kind of like it. No though, offense when you see... if anyone see, and if anyone listen to the podcast has one. Just my personal preference. I just think it's tacky as balls. I, I, I do like it though when you see like the, the like old fellas who are like like seventy and the proper like Boca Juniors ultras and they've got the big Boca shield on the back. I quite like that. Partly because I'm intimidated. Um but yeah, if like going back to it, if if you're worried about it, get something subtle or like Ross said, something you can hide. Oh yeah, or oh, what is what's Rotherham's uh not Rotherham, sorry. What's oh yeah, the cockerel. I'm trying to think of yeah. like who the Spurs mascot will be. It'll be some kind Ooh. of cock, won't it? Just get a portrait of Jerry Francis. <laughs> Just get. A, I'd say what we should do. Get a suit. Just get a random suit and just say, "I'm getting measured from the famous Paul Gascoigne line from back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> what a. And they said what a promo that is, but it's what a fantastic post-match interview. I'm getting me suit measured. Ha ha. Right. Get get Martin Joel's head on your torso. <laughs> <laughs> just get a life-size portrait of Ledley King on your back, because of course Ledley well, King. Put him in the fetal position so his whole life-size body could fit on there, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, just don't get the badge. Ta- tacky, yeah. tatty, tacky, tatty, ticky tacker. Anyway, thank you to the bisexual Bovril Botherer to give me his full title. James, up the Bovril, never had one. I assume it's nice. Uh, we'll end there, Jarkins. How are you doing? We're going to take a little break next week. We'll we'll record some sort of placeholder to go in the place of the regular podcast because you've got a well-deserved uh, week off. Uh, so yeah we'll, yeah, we'll work that out and get it get it done. Well, it, it's 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 been all it's it's lined up nicely because I'm taking a week off because it's my girlfriend's birthday and she's a bit gutted that I've taken the week off because she does want a couple of days just by herself doing her own <laughs> stuff. But as do I, so I said to her, "That's fine." Um, but it's happened to coincide with the international break, so couldn't have played it better. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to just sleep, Ross. I'm going to sleep a lot. That's what life is for: to sleep yeah. and to dream of a better life than the one you actually have. 
that's all I do anyway thank you for listening thank you for watching we'll see you in two weeks for the regular podcast next week there'll be a little placeholder funny little bollocks thing you know what we do here up the hole and give we'll see you soon <laughs>